Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this week's episode of After the Snap, we will be joined by syndicated radio host, author, and founder of Outkick.com, Clay Travis. We will also be recapping the last two weeks across the NFL as we missed last week's episode. It's time for After the Snap. Let's go. Every snap is an interview. After the snap. What a snap. Hey, keep your mouth shut, 50. I lead by example. With Blake and Reed Ferguson discussing life in, out, and after football. To be able to leave walking away with a degree and a championship, uh, it couldn't be any better. Yeah! Well, you can take this boy out the real south on a but you can't take the real south out of my voice. And now here we go again, twist a little bit Reed, I'm realizing that as uh, I typed up our intro for this week, autocorrect on my Mac took it to outback.com, not outkick.com. Clay Travis is not the founder of outback.com. He is the founder of outkick. Do you think um, he? Do you think Clay likes to enjoy a blooming onion? Ooh, we. You know what? That's, forgot to ask. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity. Should've totally should have asked him that. We will have to get back to our listeners on that because I feel like that's vital information. Sure thing. But you know what is also vital information that the people need to know? We're back for the first time in two weeks. We're back. And it felt like forever. I don't know like about time. you. It felt like the last time we recorded after the snap was like two months ago. So but much happened. Uh, four football, three football games happened. Uh, or three between the the two of us. Uh, because four. you you and I played the Ferguson Bowl. That was one. <laughs> you didn't play in the Sunday. same game. You didn't play Sunday. That's right. I thought you. I forgot we you played went Thursday. Games. Y'all played Sunday. Three games. That's three um, games. Yes, that's correct. Math. Uh, yes, the Dolphins, uh, but. I do feel like that we should, we should we lay touch on it. some, 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 yes, because I've been waiting for so long to give you 700 days. Yes. The bragging rights are sitting in Miami for at least 11 weeks, 11 weeks, 11 weeks. Is it week 14, um, 15 week? Yeah. Yeah. 14, I think. Yeah. So 10, 11 games. I will give you props. After the last play happened and the clock ran out, you were very composed. And I expected to walk across the field and see a much more... You were ecstatic on the inside, I know. I have experienced that four times. But, you know, not to rub it in your face or anything. I know you were happy. You know, I'm having fun with it. I know you were happy on the inside. I get that. Uh, I was, I was surprised that you were not like, uh, walk across the field, smile on your face. You were, I think you, you, it looked, uh, from my point of view, when I watched you walk across the field, like you were shocked that 
like of how the last play because well, I was surprised. Yeah, as well. I, I think just, that like, the way so much going on, and I think just, the like, way the game ended. shook out, the way the game shook out with you guys and the <laughs> the final trying to get on the ball to clock it and send the field goal team out there and running out of time and no timeouts and the the goal line stop you know and and end up ending up having having the butt punt like there was so much happening that I walked across and met up with you and I could I could tell that you were like you were more disappointed because of the because of the way that it ended than you would have been had we beat y'all by four touchdowns sure. like it's well, I it's knew. I mean, the close, we were, the close defeats are, are always the heartbreaking yeah, ones no because it, you you know you you get so amped up to go out there and and like you guys did this past weekend, you went out and and kicked the game winning field goal. You were being set up, you know, and and it just didn't work out. And so you know, I, as a professional, I wanted to be conscious of that. But yes, it it did feel great to get Ferguson Bowl victory number one. It had been quite a while since the Dolphins had beat Buffalo, dating back to before I uh, was in Miami. And so uh, it, it did feel good to get the bragging rights. I had so many guys come up to me last week as we were prepping for Cincinnati and just say, man, how, how good does it feel to, to be your brother? And for those who don't know, Reed and I oh, <laughs> are quite competitive. And I have no idea what you're about to say. I don't have any idea what I'm about to say either. Oh, okay. But I thought I did. No, I, don't, I thought you, you know, were going to go into know. when I would beat you in NCAA and then run well, up this. that's okay. the thing right. is, is you would beat me in just about everything. That's Whether what it was brothers are supposed to do, man. Baseball in the backyard, basketball on the basketball court, or <clears> on the ner- on the Nerf goals in the hallway. Yes. Video games. It's like Big Brother can't let Little Brother win at anything. Sometimes so you got to be humbled. That's why you're so humble. So it, so it felt good. Yes, that was why I was so humble walking across the field to meet up with you after I after we handed you a fat L. All right, let's move on. Um, you guys played three days late, four days we later. Had a, we had a quick turnaround, which Thursday night games are always a quick turnaround. Yeah. But it was we go. Uh, fun fact: we go Thursday to Thursday this year. We oh, play Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We play Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. And then uh, in New England yes. on TNF. So I don't know if that's ever been done before. But you guys but, played at Cincinnati. Yeah. So, got to see so, your LSU fellas. So it was a. It was already a quick turnaround, but it was even quicker. And also the reason why we didn't have a podcast last week was because we ended up having to fly out early yes. due to Hurricane Ian. Moving across the state, uh, we ended up going up uh, Wednesday morning, which meant Tuesday turned into kind of a long day with packing and all kinds of just chaos going on uh, with the storm kind of moving in Tuesday night. Uh, it just was it was absolutely chaotic. And so uh, we do apologize to our listeners. We try to be super, super consistent about having a podcast product for you every Friday and we were not able to deliver that. So uh, we do apologize, but the one thing, you know, that, that did uh, come from that game as you know, we, we lost uh, by 12 points, but you know, everybody, 
everybody want wanted to you know just kind of bring up the Tua thing and and that's that's kind of behind us and and all of that you know I I am not you know at, at liberty to speak on his on his medical issues or or you know any of the the team stuff that's going on but it, it is scary to see a teammate go down in an in injury on on primetime television that the basically the entire world is watching you know and and so uh was glad to see you know his his smiling face on our on our plane ride back and so you know it, it was it was super scary but you know everything you know the lord has a plan for everything and um hopefully for for Tua he's going to uh, create this into an even bigger and better story of success for him you know i say that as a as a teammate but also as just a brother in christ sure um love Tua to death uh, absolutely adore him so yeah, that's that's kind of all I have there. Uh, obviously, can't can't share a whole lot because of his you know privacy with with the team and his medical privacy. So, but yeah, it was it was good to see him, you know, just smiling at us. Love it. We went to Baltimore on Sunday. Got a good Sunday one o'clock game. Uh, those schedules are the best, as we've talked about before. We enjoy the primetime games, but. Sunday at one o'clock is undefeated, especially when you're on the road. Especially when you're on the road. Uh, in a short flight back, which was nice. Uh, we were back before uh, the Sunday night game. I think before it even kicked off. So that was awesome. Seventeen point comeback in Baltimore. It was pouring rain the whole game. It was kind of windy, not super windy, but that stadium is. You played there a few weeks ago. It's it's pretty high. It's a bold end, yep. so you don't really get a lot of uh, a lot of, of the wind that is showing on the weather forecast. Uh, you don't feel a ton of it in the stadium. And and somebody made a comment after the game. It kind of feels like you are in just a permanent Halloween like store when you're there because everything is like purple and black, and there's like light up eyes, birds, and stuff yeah. everywhere it's like they have permanent halloween decorations everywhere um i just thought that was pretty funny and it kind of makes sense i didn't think of it at the time but looking back it it is pretty uh halloween ish spooky uh very spooky no we uh you know it was pouring rain and funny enough when we played there in 2018 first game of the season uh we lost it was like 42 to 3 or something it was bad not a fun game it was, it reminded me the weather was exactly the same. Pouring the whole game, wet footballs, just bad news across the board. Game winning field goal for T Bass. That was awesome. That was his first, uh, first of one of his career. I got the ball back for him after the game, right after the, the field goal. The TV actually, up. the TV actually followed you. Oh and, really? And showed you at the very end you getting getting the ball back. I, okay. I think you said you said you had to trade. You know, you had to trade the ball to get. Oh, uh, the well, game ball, that was right? earlier. That was earlier in the game. Um, okay, so maybe realize. it was. It was maybe, earlier when they showed the my back. Got it. Yeah, yes. that was uh, that was earlier in the game after a field goal. Okay. Um, they did not get the net up in time, so it went in the stands. Got the it. Okay. Stands. So I, I was mistaken. Um, I didn't see all the game. I was I was traveling uh, that day. I did uh, catch the. I literally walked out of security in the airport and walked up right as 
Josh Allen was uh, taking a knee. I think he was taking a knee. Yes. Uh, and then you guys called a timeout, and I was like, "This is this is perfect, perfect timing." And I took a video serving up the Dime Burgers, which actually leads us to the first ever happening of this. And I think you know where this is going. The I can't first ever. I can't believe that. I can't believe this. I can't believe it, dude. There were. What, I got um, three double- other. There were three other yes uh, potentially nominees after the snap clutch snap of the weeks, but I have I, I overrule as co-host of this producer podcast. Chris uh, or I'm sorry uh, social Jack social also Jack. overruled social Jack um, overruled congratulations to uh, Liam Jack and Jared Liam from Atlanta. Jack from Green Bay and Jared Lawrence from Ole Miss. But the after the snap, clutch snap of the week goes to none other than Mr. Reed Ferguson. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) I will tell you this. uh, Funny enough, as much as I have made about the rain during the game, the skies parted. In the last thirty seconds of the game, this guy's amazing. When he took both knee, when we when they did QB sneak to get the first down, and we took both knees, there was no rain. It was amazing. Um, can't script it any better. Game winning field goal from the four yard line, whatever it was. Thank you. I will accept my award as the first <laughs> co host to win the clutch snap of the week. Uh, much appreciated to your over. Your override. Yes. Congratulations Thanks. Thank you to, to you, Jack. I did get a lot of, um, messages from, uh, listeners and some, some friends, some people that are listeners that sent me some messages on social media that told me, uh, either that I should win it or asked me, uh, if I will be on the poll this week. So I didn't want to be biased and give it to myself, uh, or put myself on there. But this is a 50-50 podcast, so you can overrule. Yes, can overrule and did. So congratulations. I think it's time we get into our interview with Mr. The Clay Travis. He was an awesome interview, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. Find it next. Joining us this week on After the Snap, we have syndicated radio host, author, founder of OutKick.com, and still the most hated man in the history of the cable news network and quite possibly all of social media, the Mr. Clay Travis. Clay, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Hey, appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, excited to uh, to make the world uh, continue to be a better place. Clay, I know uh, – thank you again for joining us. I know you are um... – at your son's baseball game right now. Uh, I want to get into, obviously, there's a big matchup, one that all three parties on this call are looking forward to this weekend, LSU versus Tennessee. We'll get into that in a few minutes. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, we talk about NFL football on here, we talk about college football. How do you feel about the current landscape of the SEC? And then follow that up with how you see the additions of Texas and Oklahoma faring uh when they join in a few years 
Well, reverse it, right? So I'll start the second part first. I think Texas and Oklahoma are going to be good additions to the SEC because, one, they're super premium brands that have SEC-like fan bases, which I think will be well-suited. But bigger picture there, too, I also think it'll be beneficial to the conference because right now you can go 12 years based on these idiotic divisions that they have crafted between playing on the road, for instance, it's crazy to people, and I'll get to this in a minute, but using the Tennessee LSU example, the last time that Tennessee played at LSU was the 13 men on the field game all the way back in 2010. So I feel like if you're really going to be in the same conference, you should have it set up where every four years you play home and home. Uh, and so you can go and have played in every opposing team stadium as well as hosted them in your own. And uh, I think that's the way the new schedule is going to go. I think they're going to go with a nine-team uh, conference uh, schedule and then do away with the divisions, which means, you know, you got a few, maybe two, maybe three of the yearly rivals, but you'll play everybody every other year. And every four years, you'll play every team home and away. And, and I think that's important. So I think the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, both from a brand and schedule perspective, is going to be good for the conference. Um, and the first part I think you asked was about the overall uh, sort of strength of, uh, of, of the SEC and college yep. football in general. Um, look, I, I think the SEC is kind of in a holding pattern to know how long Nick Saban is going to be the coach. I think the level of dom- dominance that he has created at Alabama will not be equaled in our lifetimes. Um, and everything is kind of cyclical, right? Uh, I think Tennessee is starting to kind of trend back up, uh, which is a very good uh, position if you're a Tennessee fan. Um, and uh, but you know, it, it's funny. My kids don't believe it, but I, you know, I try to tell them, hey, you know, there's a whole generation of Alabama fans that grew up when Alabama wasn't very good, right? I yeah, mean, from absolutely, uh, you know, uh, and for about 15 years there, you know, you could have been eight to 23, and Alabama was not very good. And now it seems like Alabama is never going to lose again. Um, and so I do think there's sort of a cyclical nature to college football that Nick Saban has broken to his will. And uh, a part of me feels like when Nick Saban is gone, it'll be better for the conference because there may well be more parity and more cycling up. Um, and I also think the expansion of the playoff is going to be a really good thing uh, because right now relatively few teams get the opportunity to go to the playoff. And when we have 12 teams going to the playoff uh, every year, uh, I think it's going to be better because, you know, there'll be come November 30 teams that feel like, hey, we have a chance if everything goes well in November for our team to get into the playoff. And right now, for the most part, by the time you get to November, there's eight or ten teams that feel like they have a shot at the playoff now. And many of those don't really have a good chance. So I think expanding the playoff will be good for that reason. Uh, and uh, And I'm excited to see what the overall impact will be going forward. I, I completely agree with you there on all points. I think um, on the on the scheduling aspect of it, one thing uh, that you pointed out was playing. So everybody gets to play each school home and away every four years. Um, yeah. One thing that our, our, both of our parents went to Tennessee. Um, so one thing that I didn't get to do, but Blake did get to do, was play uh, at Tennessee. I think Blake in 2013. Is that correct? 2014, maybe. It was pouring rain. I know uh, that. that was you were at LSU from 2017. Oh, it was twenty seventeen. Yeah, it was twenty seventeen uh, when we played in in Knoxville. About thirty mile an hour winds, and <laughs> coming out of halftime, that was that was the uh, interview at halftime where they were interviewing Coach O in the 
in the tunnel and he was like, you know, it's like, it's like playing football in your backyard. You just have to love football. And, and we came out and, and you could literally couldn't see the other side of the stadium from our sideline. It was, it was raining so hard, but. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. But I, I, as, as a true Clay Travis fan, I read on Rocky Top when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, maybe, maybe, se- maybe seventh grade, but. Going to Tennessee was was certainly a highlight. Uh, I know Reed certainly wishes that he had been able to do that as well, and hopefully at some point, you know, they'll they'll structure it to where that's possible. You know, for for you to play every team in that you know home and away in your in your career in college. Well, first of all, I feel old because you're talking about how young <laughs> you were when you wrote my books. Um, Sorry to date you. you- yeah, now you guys are in the NFL and I'm an old man. Um, but I, I, I'll tie that in, uh, as well. Uh, Jackson Lampley, uh, when I wrote Dixieland Delight was a little kid. His dad, Brad played, uh, offensive line at Tennessee and he now is the backup, one of the backup, uh, guards on Tennessee's football team. And I saw him, you know, after the Florida game, cause we were up there for that, for that one. And he's just an absolute giant of a kid, a grown man now. And I just can't get over how funny it was and how wild it is to think about, you know, him. He's quoted in the book as like an eight-year-old because I was hanging out with his dad (laughs) at the tailgate. And now, you know, he's 21 or 20 or whatever the heck he is. And it's interesting to think about now as a dad, right, for myself, because I've got a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And I like to think that you know, over the next five or six years, my life won't really change that much and I won't really feel or look that much different. But you guys know, I mean, that that period of about 12 to 18, uh, 11 to 18 is seven years and you go from being a boy to, you know, a man. And it's really just kind of wild to uh, to experience so, now as a dad. Had a long snap. About it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Clay, a few things on the current SEC uh, schedule, I guess. Um contenders versus pretenders i have a few teams i I just want to get your thoughts on tennessee kentucky Ole miss and texas a&m what do you have any initial thoughts on are those teams contenders or pretenders and if they're not are georgia and bama on a crash course to see each other again i think georgia and bama are on a crash course to see each other again but let me kind of break down you can give me one of those at a time i'll start with tennessee Tennessee offensively, I think, can score points on anyone. And so when you, when you get into the context of contender, I think if you can score 30 or more on pretty much anyone, which I think they can, you know, if the opponent, they'll say they're playing Georgia and Alabama, they play them both. If Alabama comes out and turns the ball over three or four times in Knoxville, you know, Tennessee could beat them. If both teams played their best game, Tennessee is not. But Tennessee is good enough on the offensive side of the ball to, I think, be uh, considered a contender. Kentucky, um, and by the way, Tennessee's defense keeps them from being like any kind of, I truly think, elite team. They're really bad in secondary. They don't have an elite pass rush to be able to cover it up. And so I tend to think they'll get exposed there at some point as they play higher caliber of competition, maybe even starting this weekend. I don't think LSU's great at throwing the football, but I think Tennessee has a good chance to give up 30 to pretty much anybody too. So they're going to be in a lot of shootouts. We um, had 80 yards uh, passing in Auburn. So. <laughs> I saw that, uh, which is difficult for me to understand how that's possible. But uh, yeah, same. You know, Tennessee's, pa- Tennessee's pass defense can make uh, 
can make a lot of people look pretty good. So, I mean, uh, so we'll see what happens. I'm actually really curious Saturday to see what happens in that one. Kentucky, like as I get older and my audience gets bigger, I feel bad for saying things that are negative about college kids because they're like 20 years younger than me. And <laughs> But now within that context, uh, I have seen Mel Kuyper saying that Will Levis potentially is going to be the second quarterback coming off the uh, coming off the board in the NFL draft, you know, come April or May. I guys, I just don't see it. And so I think that Kentucky is a pretender right now. And I'll just give you not trying to denigrate Will Levis, but the three toughest games Kentucky has left on their schedule, Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Georgia. I would take all three of those quarterbacks, Will Rogers, uh, Hendon Hooker, and, uh, and Stetson Bennett in the college team and on the college system that they are running over Will Levis right now. And we know he just had the two turnovers on back-to-back final drives against Kentucky, uh, against Ole Miss. And that's probably not fair to him. You know, he's trying to go uh, airborne uh, sure. Josh Allen style and get the uh, the first down <laughs> there. And he may have gotten a targeting call that, uh, that Ole Miss got away from. But then he doesn't get – this is what bothered me. If you're going to be an elite college quarterback, he didn't allow his team to get set down on that final drive. I don't know if you guys saw the, the way that game ended. Yes. But his team did not get set. Uh, his wide receiver wasn't set. That's on him, right? Not his flaw, but there was plenty of time. He had time to take a breath, make sure the whole team was set before the ball got snapped. And he threw a great ball, touchdown, should have won the game, but they took it off because of the, the procedure penalty. And then the next play, he gets hit blindside, gives up the ball. He kept it too long. Those are kind of things that just shouldn't happen, I think, if you're an elite-level college quarterback. And so I have trouble believing that he is good enough to really be considered a contending quarterback. And who are the other two you asked me about? Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss and Ole Miss and Texas A&M. Yeah, it, I'll start with Texas A&M. I don't think Texas A&M has a quarterback, uh, and their offense has been mediocre at best. I think they've got a pretty good defense, and they've got some good young talent on that team. And I'm going to be in Tuscaloosa this weekend. I've got my boys I'm taking down, to your point earlier. I like to take them on the road when I can, when they don't have – sporting events or obligations themselves. Uh, I try to go watch as many as I can. And we should mention at some point your dad and his travel schedule and how cool that is to have uh, two oh, yeah. kids playing in the NFL and uh, and before that, two kids playing in uh, in college and everything else. But um, but look, I, I look at it and uh, I just don't think Ole Miss is a contender based on their, uh, based on their overall offensive uh, skill set, particularly the quarterback. And then for uh, – I actually think you didn't ask me about him, but I think Mississippi State may be the second-best team in the SEC West. I know they had a bad second half on the road in Death Valley, but Will Rogers I think is really a good quarterback. I like the system that Mike Leach has built around him. I think they're going to beat Arkansas this weekend. I know there's questions, at least as we're talking right now, unless something's come down for sure in the last several hours because I've been at kid sporting events. K.J. Jefferson doesn't seem like he's going to be 100%, may not be able to play at all. Uh, and so I think Mississippi State's going to win that game too. And so I like Mississippi State as potentially the second best team in the, uh, in the SEC West, honestly, which ties in again with Ole Miss. I thought Ole Miss was very fortunate to win, uh, that game against Kentucky. Kentucky's Definitely. had special teams issues all year. Uh, they reared their head again. I didn't like a lot of the decisions Lane Kiffin made down the stretch. If you were watching, I mean, he went for it on fourth and goal from the five, uh, bad, uh, I, Kentucky defense is solid and, uh, there was nothing there. Should have gone up six, I think. And then, like we said, we got the double Will Levis turnovers, but barring those, I think they would have gone down and scored. So uh, I think Ole Miss is a pretender in terms of being able to contend uh, for a trip to Atlanta. Here's a good question for you guys. 
Can you name the SEC schools that have never been to Atlanta, never made the SEC championship game? I think the easy one to say right off the bat would be Vanderbilt. Yeah, there are four, by the way, I believe. It's four not, well, of the it's four Missouri. Have, Missouri's played in two, right? Yeah, Missouri's been. Is it? Uh, they went. They went right away when they joined. That's right. Is Mississippi State one of them? No, Mississippi State has been Jeez. once, I believe. Oh, they two. played Tennessee, Tennessee in '98. A and M went with Manziel. No, A and M has. They not did been. not. Okay, so yeah, Vandy, A and M, South Carolina. South Carolina's been. They went when they had. Um, uh, Who's the quarterback had, uh, that was from Georgia? Marcus Lattimore was their running back, uh, yes. if you remember. And uh, Is that when Clowney I'm, was there, uh, may have been when Clowney was there. When you get to be uh, my age, all these years yeah. run together. You know, Clowney feels like he played like last year to me, and he's been gone like nine, you know, or ten or whatever. That Can't remember is. that quarterback that they had that was from that was from uh, that was from Georgia a while, like ten years ago, probably fifteen years, twelve years ago, maybe. Vanderbilt. Arkansas has been um, a, a couple times. So I'll, I'll tell you there. So it's A&M, it's Vanderbilt, it's Kentucky, and it's Ole Miss. Kentucky. No See, kidding. I, I was thinking I Kentucky, thought Kentucky had Kentucky been when we were growing up. Yeah, back, yeah. In, yeah. back in the early 2000s or maybe Yeah, Kentucky's had Jared, two. Uh, you know, what was his name, what Jared? I would say, what was really good. Lorenzen. Lorenzen. Yeah, they, maybe three if you want to. Uh, Jared Lorenzen, uh, if you go back far enough. Tim Couch, obviously, sure. uh, who was 20 years ago or whatever. And uh, Andre Woodson was a really good college football quarterback for Kentucky back in the day. They were pretty good. You know, they beat – you guys probably remember that – number one LSU. That was the year Les Miles won the national yep. championship yes. with the two losses LSU team. And make, came out with his uh, talking point, which was, uh, we've never been beaten in regulation, which was an all-time <laughs> Les Miles line. And that got him into the, the title game. I think that was against Ohio State that year in New Orleans, if I'm yes. not mistaken. As we kind of get into the game this weekend – a little bit. Two questions for you. LSU, I believe the over-under was set at seven wins for their season. They're currently three, uh, let's see. Yeah, four and one overall. Tennessee is over-under at seven and a half. Um, does LSU get to seven and is Tennessee locked in for the over? I think we well, should I'll also, probably... I think we should also mention that LSU is the only currently ranked team that we didn't ask if they were pretenders or contenders. Well, and we would be remiss if we didn't ask that. <laughs> it took him. It took him a week that's six fair. to get back that's into fair. the top twenty-five. That's fair. But I think we. Uh, I think we have to ask, even though well, we probably know the answer. I do not think they are. Uh, they are contenders. But again, I. I think the second best team in the SEC West is wide open, and the team that I said I think is going to end up the second best in the SEC West, LSU already beat. So, uh, yep. uh, you know, I was doing my SEC power rankings this week, and I said this is probably going to be the last week where you can be in a position where you rank everybody better than the teams that they've beaten because I feel like we're probably headed a little bit for chaos in terms of no doubt. You know, a, lot of, a lot of teams that are five and three caliber, for lack of a better way to describe it, and will kind of beat up on each other in both the East and the West. You know, I'm frankly, I'm not sure who the third best team in the SEC is right now behind Georgia and uh, Alabama. So I think that's a, a question not only for the West, but for the East. Uh, okay, Tennessee, I'm probably jinxing it. I don't see how at this point they don't go over the number. Yep. Uh, they won two that were going to be challenging for them in the first four, have a decent chance to beat LSU, I think, in a couple of days. Favored um, by three. So, yeah. So uh, And then, look, you got UT Martin. You've got South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Mizzou, who are not very good. 
So I think even if they lost to the four good teams left on their schedule, which I would say is LSU, Kentucky, uh, Alabama, and four. Yeah, Alabama and Georgia, they'd still get to eight and four. And as a Tennessee fan, I don't know what your dad would say, but I would take, <laughs> I would take two and two in those four games right now. Cause I think Tennessee would go 10 and two. I think if you asked our dad about the Tennessee schedule year in and year out, if they went one and 11, but they beat Florida every single year, <laughs> he would be happy. That's right. That's right. He I would be more ecstatic. than happy. And yeah. they've, and they've already done that this year. I know you were at the game. You were, you were filming from the, filming from the stands. You were obviously ecstatic. What would it, you know, what would it be like for them to, go on a on an absolute tear the next five games and maybe pull three of three of the four uh against the the big four ranked opponents. So if they get if they went three and one, then again I think they're gonna beat the other four teams. And I really do believe that they would make the college football playoff. Uh because you know, look, if they beat Georgia they'd be in the SEC championship game probably going three and one against that group because they'd mm-hmm. have uh, the yeah. tie break over Georgia, no matter what else. Yeah. Uh, if they beat Alabama, Alabama's going to win the West, I think. And then Tennessee would be the team that's left, you know, kind of sitting outside at 11 and one. Uh, that's almost too good to, to kind of dream of. If Tennessee beats LSU, I'll let myself start kind of daydreaming about that. But I have, you know, what I would call battered ball syndrome, where over the last 15 years or so, every time you think something really good's going to happen, you know, it's kind of the yeah. wheel comes off and everything falls apart. And so uh, that's my concern and or my fear as I uh, as I look ahead uh, for LSU. Look, I mean, I don't think that Florida State is very good, and I think they'd probably like to have that game back. But if you look at the rest of the schedule, you're not going to beat not going to beat Alabama. But Florida is not that good. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen against Tennessee. But I also like LSU's chances. Uh, I believe to get over that seven and a half hump. Going back to Tennessee on the going three and one in those ranked opponent game, those next ranked opponent games is is Alabama the preferred loss? I know it's a weird question, but in the scenario you just played out where they're going to win the West anyway, is that the preferred one loss? Yeah, I mean, I think four? so because that would probably get Tennessee into the SEC championship game, and that would be a big deal. But sure. if you ask Tennessee fans, would you rather beat Alabama or Georgia? You know, kind of irrespective of anything else after losing to Nick Saban every year. Tennessee's beaten Georgia a couple of times. I think that the hope would be uh, to beat Alabama. That would mean more to the average Tennessee fan. Uh, a Georgia win would be more significant. But, uh, but you know, uh, but Alabama getting a win over them would be one of those, hey, we're back moments for, uh, for Tennessee football. Alabama being the only loss you play them in the SC Championship, if you lose again, what, what, do you, what do you think that says for the playoff? Yeah, I think you, I think you'd be out, which is which is yeah. why if you're just like legitimately trying to get in the playoff, I think the eleven and one with a loss to Georgia that then beat Alabama, I don't know sure. how Tennessee wouldn't get in yeah, the you playoff. Would definitely be able uh, to get in for sure. I would I would think that that would be a very likely uh, scenario in in that case. But again, you know, four zero being able to talk about having a top ten Tennessee team. If you get the win, here's a good stat for you: if Tennessee beats LSU. Uh, and if Alabama beats A&M, then it would be the first time that Tennessee and Alabama are playing, both being undefeated 
since 1989. So uh, that is pretty wild. That's pretty wild to yeah. think about, um, given you know the storied nature of, of these two programs. That's how long it would have been since that happened. How do you see the game unfolding on Saturday, given kind of what you hit on with Tennessee's struggling secondary, LSU not being super proficient? I know uh, Jaden Daniels ha- is you know QBR. There's been a lot of chatter about him being pretty high on those charts, but everybody that watched the Auburn game was, I mean, that was, that was hard to watch. It was either a handoff or he was scrambling for six or seven yards going all the way down the field. How do you see it working out on Saturday? Let's start with the LSU offense against the Tennessee defense. I think the question is one, how healthy is he, right? Uh, Because there's been some uncertainty about exactly how close to a hundred percent he's going to be. And can Tennessee make him go to the second receiver so that they get a chance to get some pressure on him? Or is the primary receiver going to be open all day long, in which case there isn't really a chance for that pass rush to get there? You know, Tennessee, and look, pace tempo wise, Tennessee's fortunate. I know LSU came back from a 17 to nothing deficit, but Tennessee went down on the road 10 nothing to Pittsburgh. They were down early to Florida. You know, a 10 or 14 point deficit to this offense doesn't really change what they do. And so I think Tennessee will score. I think the biggest question is, can the Tennessee defense kind of get some uh, get some forced punts? Can they get some turnovers against LSU as to whether this is a game that comes down to uh, comes down to the wire all over again? Uh, on the other side of the ball, as long as Tennessee protects Hendon Hooker and as long as he stays healthy, they are going to score. Uh, and I think Tennessee is going to score 30 or more. So if I'm breaking down this game, my question is, can LSU get to 35 or more? Because I feel like Tennessee is going to get to 31 or more. And so uh, I think if LSU wins, it'll be in a shootout. I don't think their defense is going to be good enough uh, to slow down Tennessee. You know, absent Hendon Hooker, who has not turned the ball over hardly at all since he took over as a starting quarterback. I think he's got like 38 touchdowns and three interceptions or something like that. I mean, it's a pretty extraordinary uh, job of accuracy and not turning the football over. Now, Cedric Tillman looks like he's going to be out. He's Tennessee's number one receiver. He was not in the Florida game either. You know, he doesn't have sort of his Robin to his Batman. So maybe if the game's close late, he doesn't have that, you know, kind of guy that he trusts. Uh, That could be an issue. But if LSU is going to win, I think it's going to be because LSU has to go for 35 or more. Tennessee, LSU, minus three spread for Tennessee. Do they cover? I took LSU. Um, you know, home SEC underdogs, I tend to like, particularly in this scenario where Tennessee is still only in year two of Josh Heupel. They've gone on the road and won a couple of top 25 games. They did it earlier this season against Pitt in overtime. They won a close game against Kentucky. Uh, but what this Tennessee team has not done is just come out and really taken it to somebody. And I think that's important sometimes to do on the road and what will be a raucous, you know, Death Valley environment. So I think the value play is LSU plus the three. Um, if it gets down to, you know, Tennessee one, Tennessee two, and you don't get a full field goal, I think that gets a little bit more challenging. But I like LSU plus three or plus three and a half. Outstanding. Love we, lo- we love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, switching gears a little bit to something that, Clay, you and I and, and Reed spoke about over the summer, uh, which is the NIL landscape across college athletics obviously uh, has been, you know, by all accounts, wildly successful by by some, uh, but it could also be described as a train somewhat off the tracks. 
is is NIL doing what it was intended to do, or are there some unintended consequences of it? Well, I think we're still in the Wild West era of the NIL. And what I mean by that is nobody really knows. You know, it's like uh, you guys are young, but you kind of knew that the Internet was going to change everything, but you didn't know who was going to benefit the most from the Internet changing everything. What I would say in general, and I always believe this to be true, is I don't think that your average college football fan is going to tune out because the quarterback has a nice car or, you know, the uh, offensive tackles have better apartments than they otherwise would, right? And so uh, I think the fear of, oh, this is going to change college athletics forever in terms of enjoying it uh, has so far been a little bit, uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, Pollyannish that has not become a, uh, a reality. What I do think could become an issue, and this is what I've written, this is what I've talked, is at some point, a billionaire is just going to say, I'm sick of my team losing. Here's $400 million to put into an NIL fund. I want us to get the best players every year. We'll give everybody a million dollars to sign with us. And then my company will underwrite them to do something that isn't that significant. How do you determine that's not permissible? That's my biggest concern is that uh, at some point that really just does go to too much money. And you guys are NFL guys. Sports is interesting because ultimately sports is the only competition where the business is the competition. And let me explain what I mean by that. If you're Amazon and you're Walmart, like Amazon wants to destroy Walmart and win that business battle. You know, Netflix wanted to eliminate Blockbuster and be, you know, the preeminent way that people watch films. Now you got Disney Plus going up against Netflix. They want to end their competition. In the NFL, you guys play for the Dolphins and the Bills. If your teams were so good that you never lost, it might be great for you to be on those teams, but it would be bad for the NFL. The parity, the competition yeah. is what makes the leagues worthwhile. And so I, if you gave me a magic wand and said, hey, what makes sense? I think an NFL-style salary cap for college pro- programs, college teams, where everybody in the conference gets the same amount of money to spend would actually be the best possible outcome. And my concern is that we end up in an era, and I think this is what undergirded sort of the Jimbo Fisher against uh, Nick Saban rivalry, is A&M's got a lot more money than, than Alabama does. And Nick Saban has kind of relied on the fact that he's the best coach, he builds the best program, and he has the best chance to send guys into the first round where they make all their money. And suddenly Jimbo Fisher sitting on a big pile of oil money and a lot of desperate Aggie alums and boosters who are ready to finally win a championship. And so that's how they get uh, a, a, you know, a comp- competitive advantage that's potentially different than what Nick Saban is used to. And so I think that paradigm change, or at least the threat of it, is, uh, is looming out there. And if you take it outside of A&M Bama, let's just say like Tim Cook is the CEO of Apple. Uh, and Tim Cook, from all everything I've heard, is a big Auburn football fan. Yep. He's a billionaire. Uh, I don't think Tim Cook has very many kids or any. What if he just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to endow $2 billion to Auburn to ensure that we always get the best recruiting class in college football, the 25 guys that we want to sign every year come here, or if they don't, they're choosing to take less money to go elsewhere. Then that's And then some other buddy's got a billionaire who does the same thing. And you're kind of seeing it a little bit at Miami, for instance, and some of these other schools are kind of sniffing around the edges. 
But I think that's where the parity and uh, the, the overall brand of college football could be at risk. Now, the one change there is, unlike in the NFL, where if you get a great quarterback, you get to keep him pretty much with your franchise for a long time. You know, in college football, even if you got a stud, he's only going to be there three years. And, you know, A&M spent a lot of money on recruits and has really good recruiting class right now. And Jimbo still doesn't have a quarterback. Auburn mm-hmm. doesn't have a quarterback. So, you know, sometimes these guys, they expect to pan out, don't pan out on the field. So maybe it wouldn't be an unbelievable level of dominance. And so maybe it would still have great parity. But that's my fear about how uh, NIL could play out. So Last thing. It, uh, it sounds like we need to find out who Elon Musk's favorite. Yeah, team right. Is. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, he's worth $250 billion. If he right. loved college football, you know, he could go in and, and guarantee that his college football team basically didn't lose very many games for the rest of his life based on NIL. Last thing that we wanted to cover with you, Clay. You put out an article sometime within the last couple of days just noting the recent success, I guess over the last 12 months, notedly, of your website, outkick.com, as well as your social media accounts and, and all of the, the growth that you've seen. Reed and I read so many different authors that are, are um, contributing to your to your website and uh, all the sports coverage that you have, that's obviously what sort of sparked our our relationship. Where do you see OutKick going over the next five years? Obviously, you've grown tremendously in the last twelve months. Where do you where are you trying to go with this? Yeah, I, I well, look. I think we're going to be a top five sports destination site on the internet sooner rather than later, and uh, I'm excited about that. I also am kind of curious when. You know, like uh, you guys know this, you know, when when you never have lifted weights before and you go in and you start lifting for the first time, your bench goes up like 100 pounds really, really fast. And you're like, dude, I'm going to be the strongest human being who's ever lived. And then going up the next 50 might take a really long time. Right. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people out there who have you know tried to pursue something new know what I'm talking about. I don't know when our growth, like we quadrupled our audience from last September to this September. Well, if we did that again for next year, we'd be like the second largest sports website in the country. Maybe that's possible. Or maybe, you know, we're going to get that, you know, equivalent of the first hundred pounds on the bench press and knock it out pretty fast. And then you really have to kind of get the fine tuned edges. You have to put in a lot of work to get the next hundred. Uh, You know, rapid growth is fun and exciting. And we've really kind of done that the last several years. I keep thinking maybe we'll slow down. So far, we haven't really. And and so it's hard to project five years. But I think over the next couple, we're going to get pretty massive. Something that you guys have, have really done well at OutKick is sort of bringing in the not just sports, but bringing in somewhat of the political side of your, you know, a, a big reason why you've had the growth that you have is because of the political, you know, statements that you've made over the last several years since even since Trump began his campaign, bringing on, uh, is it Tommy Lauren? Yeah. Tommy Lauren's been she, killing it. Lauren, uh, she's been, I know you, you mentioned her in the, in the article. She's been phenomenal, you know, with Gary Sheffield. He's, he's pretty outspoken about his, about his beliefs as well. How do you feel like that that side of, Speaking, speaking not only sports, but speaking what you feel like is the truth at all times has done for OutKick. Well, look, I think we live in an inauthentic age. 
and I don't think it's strong opinions that upset people. I think it's when you don't say what you actually believe. And I think fearlessness is so rare that there's a desperate craving, whether people agree or disagree, just for someone to be honest and to be fearless about what they truly believe. Because I think almost every person on the planet has drafted a tweet and then deleted it or drafted a Facebook message and then deleted it. There is sort of a palpable fear in this country when it comes to uh, being able to say exactly what you think, no matter what it is, uh, because everybody's afraid of losing their job or having their kids get canceled or whatever it might be because of, uh, of something like that. So where I think OutKick is, uh, is having a lot of success, and certainly as I get older, what impresses me maybe the most is just absolute fearlessness. What I have found is the more honest I am, or the more honest outkick is, the bigger our audience gets. And so what I always say is, you know, when I, when we hire new people, Hey, the goal at outkick, what I have found works. And I've been writing on the internet for, you know, almost 20 years now, which is a long time is smart, original, funny, and authentic. What I always say is you're going to hit a home run if you get all four of those into an article, but everything at outkick needs to have at least one of those four. Um, in order to fit our brand. And ideally, we'd go four for four. And the more we can do that, and the better the quality and the frequency of that, uh, the more success I think we're going to have. I just have one. Uh, speaking of being completely honest, you need to give Joe Kinsey a raise. He is doing a fantastic job. He's <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this is public, but we signed him uh, to a uh, Fox. I say we, but Fox signed him because they own the company now. But Fox signed him to a three-year deal, and nice. I agree with you. Congrats I think he does Joe. a three-year three-year extension. I should say. I think he does a fabulous job, and yeah. uh, I think he's a great example of. You know, I try to retweet uh, his screen caps uh, most mornings. So I think there's just a lot of people who wake wake up and they feel like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders, whether it's kids, jobs, obligations, serious things going on in life. And I think his column almost every morning, you read it and you click on it. And you leave feeling a little bit better, smiling, no feeling doubt. a little bit better about the day. Um, no and so I think finding your lane and being able to deliver on it over and over again, you guys know you're long snappers. It's not good enough to do your job well once. Uh, one of the big challenges in any profession is being able to consistently deliver high level and high quality work. And that's what we're looking for at OutKick. And uh, Joe is a great example of somebody who gets up every day punches the clock and delivers a high quality of work for us. And that's why, you know, we're going to have him for years to come. hundred percent. Love that. Well, Clay, thank you so much. Again, this has been so much fun for us. Super, super insightful. Uh, unfortunately, we never heard back from Keith Olbermann uh, to <laughs> join tonight. He said he did not want the smoke. Uh, when we offered for him to join to join you on the podcast this week. But, man, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. All right. Appreciate you all. I hope LSU has a good season except come Saturday. Clay Travis is I, – I feel like every time we get on here after an interview, we're like, wow, that was the best interview. These interviews keep getting better and better they and do. better. They do. Javon Holland, amazing interview. Josh Allen, amazing interview. Matthew um, Smiley. Matthew Smiley, phenomenal interview. Clay Travis is – he's so good. He's so good, so and good. we uh, are super, super grateful. 
just, I mean, he, he was, we brought him on to talk SEC football. That's exactly he what he did. That's exactly what he did. He you know, I, I'm curious now, uh, because obviously he was just doing it over the phone. I'm curious. He was at his son's baseball game. Was he rattling off all of that information off the top of his noggin? That's, what, if he that's did, what I was thinking. That he, is incredibly impressive. I mean, I was, I was sitting here with, uh, with my phone yeah. open, uh, kind of on, on, the score on the Yahoo app going through the standings and the schedules and everything. Yeah. All of which he seemed to know just off the top of his head. Yeah. So injury, I don't like know injury was, updates, like, you know, it, it was, it was very, very impressive. And yeah. uh, for those of you who want to uh, follow him, he is literally just at Clay Travis on uh, Twitter, which is where he, uh, mainly operates but uh also on out at outkick uh that is his uh website and uh brand on social media you can go follow him there phenomenal absolutely phenomenal Fantastic. uh that is a wrap on this week's episode of after the snap thank you all for joining us as always follow us on social media at after the snap pod instagram twitter tiktok all the places Go subscribe, Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find Blake and Reed cheesing at the uh, podcast microphones and cameras, wherever you see us. Go follow us. Big cheesing. That's a wrap. This has been After the Snap. Tales from two brothers who live life upside down.